Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, we are live 99 here on the Purple NBA podcast. Welcome, everybody. This is going to be a very, very, very fun show tonight. And happy to have all of you here watching live, listening on demand. And always remember that if you cannot catch this live, you can check it out on Spotify apple music and anywhere that you get your podcasts so without further ado let's get right into today's episode ladies and gentlemen so first off and foremost let me just say thank you for everyone that's been you know rocking with us and just bringing the absolute vibes for the past this is episode four so the past four weeks y'all have been killing it Y'all have been killing it. I want to say thank you. Today, we've got a very chalked, packed, filled episode. We're going to be talking about the Lakers, obviously, and what direction they should go in the offseason. Going to be touching on Kyrie Irving and the overall bad influence of the media. We're going to be talking about who I believe is going to be taking the NBA into the next decade. And to wrap it up, we're going to talk about some of the more underrated dynamic duos of all time, preparing for next week when we discuss the top 25 dynamic duos ever. So I hope that you guys have a great night. Grab yourself a bag of chips, a bag of popcorn, get yourself a protein bar, whatever you got to do. And let's get into today's episode as always you can ask any questions in the discord or in the live chat and we will answer them in the mailbag section at the end of the stream so with all that being said let's do it boys and girls so the lakers right now are (laughs) and it pains me to say it pains me to say they are struggling against the houston rockets and it's it's not a pretty game to say the least i i literally had to turn it off because just it's not fun to watch the Lakers. It really is not because firstly, like we can talk about Frank Vogel all we want. We can talk about how he's just not the right guy to be coaching the Lakers this year. And I'm not saying that I want the man to be fired, but there's something that needs to change and I think it needs to come from the leadership position because when you take a look at the stuff that he does when he's making these just ostentatious rotations, it's it's tough to witness. It's tough to just sit through and watch. You've got guys who are extremely hot, guys who are in a good rhythm, they get benched, and I just sense this big lack of communication with the coaching staff and the players, and I feel like Vogel has probably lost the locker room. And when you do that like at any level, when you lose the respect of your players, when you lose the respect of the fans, it's... As a coach, especially in the NBA, 
it's dang near impossible to earn that back so no real clue where to go from here with Vogel all that you really can do is just try and get some new leadership um, elsewhere in the NBA it's it's coming down to the wire it's coming down to the wire for a lot of these teams you've got just a very very tricky playoff window for a lot of these teams because a lot of the best players in the league right now are upper 20s early 30s um you look at guys like miami heat the best player is butler and he's supplemented by both youth and vets you know they got out of bio they got hero in there but they also got like lowry that's got pj tucker oladipo guys that are basically just there to make the gel work make the gel fit and up and down in a lot of these a lot of these teams you just see chemistry and i feel like chemistry is one of the more underrated values in professional sports and you see it with the team like the cavaliers who maybe talent wise don't have the most talent you see it with the Celtics, who talent-wise, they definitely don't have the most talent. But you just see them work together so well that it just makes all the difference. And that's why those teams are solid playoff teams. Like, those are solid, solid playoff teams. Elsewhere, like in Portland, they're trailing back because of injuries. New Orleans... They're trailing back because just chemistry issues, really. Portland, like New Orleans has the talent to be in the playoffs. They're just not. Minnesota does not have the talent to be a playoff team, but they have just amazing chemistry. Same with Denver. Denver's got the coaching, the chemistry, and not exactly the talent, but... They just have enough. Where in LA, with the Lakers, they have neither. They really have neither. Without Anthony Davis, without LeBron for spells, they don't have the talent nor the chemistry. And that's reflective of their record. That's why they're eight games below 500. And they're struggling against the Houston freaking Rockets right now. Where to go from here? It's tough because um, for the next four or five years, they're going to be reliant upon vet minimums. They need to get Westbrook off. They need to dump that third max salary. Um, if they could just bring in four guys at a mid-level contract, that's more than enough than having that third max guy, I believe. I don't think three maxes in the NBA really works anymore. We've seen example after example after example of it not really working obviously the bucks just won the title with three max guys but that's more like uh, you don't have to be a you don't have to be a messed up you don't have to be a messed up guy to understand that the bucks won that title based off of circumstance you know a lot went right for the for the Bucks to be NBA champions last year, and that was clear and evident. Um, that's why the playoffs last year didn't really feel 
crazy except the the Bucks and the Nets series. That was about it. That was the only series that could really captivate my mind. By the way, big shout out to Monkey Man out here today. We got to get you on the pod sometime soon. I think, the, I mean, the Lakers are just lost. They are just lost. I feel like the Westbrook trade will be a historical bad one. I feel like this will be his one and only year in LA because this is his first taste at a major market. And you can already see that, like, he can't really handle it. He was kind of protected in OKC because he was their guy. He moved to Houston, small market, kind of protected. Only stayed there a year. Went to Washington. Small market. Kind of protected. And now he's in L.A. And he's just getting flamed. Because, I mean, when you're making the money that he's making, you need to... You need to work. And I believe that, like, everyone's got this, like, weird point of view with Westbrook that this guy's got a crazy work ethic when he really doesn't, like... Think about Westbrook when he first came into the league and think about Westbrook the year before the triple-double start. When did he get better? What did he get better at? I would like to know one thing that Russell Westbrook got better at at all in the entire league. He's pretty much the same guy he was when he came into OKC. And then Durant left, and then he completely changed his play style. He went away from being the athletic phenomenon that we all knew. He went away from being the guy that we all could watch on a daily basis and see something that we'd never seen before. I believe the injuries got to him. I believe that maybe the stress of being the number one guy got to him. And... For whatever reason, Russell Westbrook decided to change his play style, go to a more conservative, safe play style where he's not hes not really relying on his athleticism. And he's, he's settling. He's pretty much settling. And forcing those triple-doubles for so many years turned people's perspectives on him to think that he's playing better basketball than he was before the whole triple-double craze, and actually he's not. In no aspect of the game is he playing any better basketball than he was before, and I think it just goes to show that he's well due the criticism that he's getting, especially for the money he's getting paid, especially for the play that he's presented. Uh, if you look at the win shares per 48, which, I mean, that tells you all that you need to know about how much he's bringing to the table, he's bottom 10 in the entire league. So, yeah, and that's not even the eye test. You can watch Russ and you can see just how much he doesn't want to be playing, how much he doesn't want to be out there. And every time he has the ball, he's just panicking and... It, it's honestly brutal to watch. Super brutal to watch. And it sucks. Because this is just another year of LeBron's prime down the drain. Wasted on Westbrook. And there's always going to be this notion that like LeBron was pushing for Russell when... I mean... Was he? 
I think that's just a media narrative and we'll get to the media a little bit later, but for all intents and purposes, I can guarantee the LeBron was not pushing for Westbrook because I mean, LeBron knows the kind of players that he likes to play around three and D guys, guys that can make a shot for others, guys that can, you know, work within an offense that benefits him and AD in no way, shape or form is having Russ out there benefiting him and AD. I think that the buddy, he, I mean, hindsight is always 2020, right? Always 2020. But I do think that getting Kuzma out of town, giving up the last of your firsts was a, it, it was fine. But the package that he got back, not so fine. I would have liked to have gotten maybe that Buddy Heald deal. Maybe if you throw in Harrison Barnes in there, it's a decent trade. But it's just, it's it's hard to look at this on a plain sight and just not think that this is not the worst trade of a superstar, quote-unquote, in NBA history. Because it's gone nowhere for both guys it really has and traditionally like i mean what value does an aging vet on a super max deal have and i think that needs to come into that needs to come into the conversation when you're trading first round picks for guys like yeah we'll give you two dudes but we're also going to take this 44 million dollar contract off your hands so i feel like that that should tax us from you know saving a couple of draft picks taking on this big old contract for you i don't necessarily see the point in us having to like keep getting hosed by contracts in the nba i think it's i think it's just weird man i think it's weird that as soon as a guy has a max deal attached to him that all of a sudden he's worth a, a couple draft picks. You know, it's it's strange, it's odd, and all around it's just it's just one of the more puzzling things that the current crop of GMs, the current crop of executives, they just they hang on to. Is that hey, this guy's on a max, so let me get a couple first rounders for him. Westbrook's not worth a couple first rounders. He's not worth a single first rounder. And this was even Westbrook in Washington. Like, he was not good. He was not great. I would have much rather seen a Russell Westbrook, a guy like that, maybe go back to OKC. End his career in OKC, sign a final contract in OKC, and I just pray for both parties involved that he declines his player option and he goes and gets a Gordon Hayward, like, you know, four for 110 mil somewhere else because it's just not it. It's just not it in LA, and it's not a good fit. And I think every every party involved sees that. And I think sooner rather than later that we figure this out, and we adjust our expectations and our mindsets, the better. 
because it just it just can't keep going on like this. Like for Westbrook, he's been on four different teams in four different years. When do we start? When do we start changing our mind about the guy? Like it's it's at that point where it's just it's done out. The conversation is completely, completely, completely overdone. Um, to the point where, you know, even on ESPN, they're not even talking about the guy anymore. So we're gonna we're gonna stay stay tuned to this Lakers Houston game as the fourth quarter unwinds. But we're gonna move on to another guy that the media really was going after, and that's Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is having another very good year unfortunately he can only be playing in away games that's not up to him though like i guarantee if he could play in home games he could here he would but for the year that he's having man we got to give him his flowers not just for the 50 piece that he dropped last night but i mean 17 games that he's played so far because he could have been playing from the start he could have been playing from the jump, but the Nets just said, you know what, like, let's not, let's hold out. And then eventually the Nets gave in and were like, yo, Kyrie, we need you. We're down to our last guy on the bench. We need you. So I feel like Kyrie's been done dirty. I feel like Kyrie's been done dirty and it does suck because you look at the dude just on face value, man, 26 a game. On better shooting splits than his career averages, you know. And he's playing better defense than he's been playing since Cleveland. And you just see this guy getting absolutely torched in the media to the point where Stephen A. Smith is demanding that Kyrie Irving retires. And NBA Twitter's going at the guy like they know any iota of what's going on with this dude and it's like I respect the heck out of Kyrie for what he's doing I respect the heck out of Kyrie like he's staying true to himself and he's playing great basketball and he's playing amazing basketball It's fun seeing guys like this succeed. Guys that the media goes after. Guys that the media, in essence, just try and take down a notch. Try and get in the head. And, like, you've seen that with LeBron's entire career. And it's been ugly. It really has been ugly. And it's to the point where I think these media guys believe their own narratives and their own oddball takes about guys like LeBron, about guys like Kyrie that they just start like believing that these guys aren't world beater basketball players like just in terms of just pure basketball I don't think that there's a guard and a forward that you could arguably take over a guy like Kyrie and LeBron that's why I think they're one of the more underrated duos ever ever Unfortunately, they ran into the greatest team ever assembled 
and Kyrie got ideas of starting his own thing, which, I mean, he even admitted it. He was dumb for doing, like, and he apologized to Braun for doing. And Braun let he let himself be the bad guy to protect Kyrie. And there's a reason he did that. It's because Kyrie obviously made the mistake and LeBron knew that he made the mistake. He knew he was just being that dumb kid, just like him, who went to Miami and tried to do his own thing. And I feel like everyone needs to do that, you know? Like, even as a, a college student myself, like... We all need a little bit of independence and we need to get out of the out of the nest and not a lot of people are doing that nowadays. So it's just it's it's just the whole like the media the media narratives have to stop, you know? And it's very like it's very similar with the Embiid and the Jokic situation where the media picks their MVP before the season even starts like they they have it drilled into their mind who they want to win before the season starts we've seen that with Harden we've seen that with Giannis two seasons in a row we saw that with Jokic last year and we're seeing it with Jokic again this year which I mean fair play to Jokic last year fair play to him he was just the last guy standing LeBron was the MVP favorite he got hurt and Bede became the MVP favorite. He got hurt. And it was all Jokic. This year, it was just an ugly, ugly attempt by the mass media to try and say, like, hey, it's gonna be it's gonna be a two-way dance between Stephen Curry and Jokic. Stephen Curry is your MVP favorite, this, that, and the other. And then the actual basketball started. And then the actual basketball started, and you see guys like Steph that are having bad years. You know, two years in a row of bad years for Steph. Um, and now the narrative shifted to Nikola Jokic is having this. I keep seeing this, the historic season of Nikola Jokic. It's just a bit confusing, right? It's just a bit confusing because if you if you showed me what Jokic did last year compared to this year, I'd probably side with last year being a better year for him. Um, given that he's probably got a better roster this year than last. Given that... They're probably, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty similar team. Just looking at it. It's a pretty similar team. Uh, the only thing that I would say is slightly different this year is of course the overall absence of Michael Porter Jr. And Jamal Murray. With that being said, you still have one of the best coaches that there is in the entire game. And you still have a pretty decent roster. Now, my friend is a pretty big Nuggets fan. And even he says, like, 
the Nuggets roster, one to nine without Murray, without Michael Porter Jr., it stacks up against the league. Like it's still a pretty good roster. But I don't want to just talk about the roster. I don't want to just talk about Jokic. Let's talk about the West versus the East, right? And this is what I don't get because not a lot of context comes into mind when you're making these just these claims that one guy is a a front runner for MVP, right? You see these claims being made, but you need context, right? So let's talk about the centers in the West. We'll go 1 to 15, and we'll just talk about these centers. You got DeAndre Ayton, who, I mean, he's good, not an all-star level, not really a... I mean, he's a he's an above-average center, is what you'd say, for DeAndre Ayton. He's been the same player his entire career. I believe this is year four or five for him. He's good, but he's just... He's not... He's not making any leaps, right, to be a quote-unquote elite center. You got the Grizzlies... I mean, Steven Adams, pretty good. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say that he's a I mean, let's just be let's just be real with it. Like, we know what Steven Adams is in there to do. He's not a he's not a hound defensively. He's just there to to make fouls, get rebounds and just be a big body, set screens, etc. Golden State Warriors, they really don't have a center. Kevon Looney, Bielitsa. I mean, that looks like barbecue chicken to me. Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert, probably one of the more underrated, not underrated, overrated players in NBA history. Not much of a, not much of a good defender, Rudy Gobert. Um, around the, around the restricted area, I, I would say that he's pretty effective. But that's about it. Like, he can't come out on screens. He can't help on the perimeter. He can't stick with anybody in the perimeter. Um, when, honest to gosh, like, you see this with a lot of guys. When they see the Jazz, they're just like, bro, I'm so excited to play. I'm so excited to play. And when you look at the head-to-head matchups, it's just not even it's just not even fair. It's just not even fair between the two. And it's 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 weird that Rudy Gobert is considered this like super elite level guy when I mean against each other Jokic just eats he simply simply eats um, head to head Jokic is 19 
10, <laughs> 6, and a steal compared to Gobert's 12 and 11. And not just to mention that, but like the Nuggets are consistently beating the Jazz. So I wouldn't, I would never call Rudy Gobert an elite center. I'll, I'll give him that above average thing simply because everyone else does and it's not my hill to die on but so right now we are at zero goods we're at what one good center with Aiton two above average Mavericks don't have a good center then you have the Nuggets the Timberwolves have a good center I'll say Cat's good but not defensively um to say the least so what that's two good centers one above average center clippers don't have a good center lakers don't have a good center if you want to say anthony davis is their center fair so we'll say that's a good center pelicans by no stretch of the means have a good center i wouldn't say valanchunas is a good center um him and him and yusuf nurkic from the blazers are about the same level of player and it's actually pretty weird how even that they are. So I'll say they're above average, but I won't call them good because they're not really all-star level. Spurs don't have a good center in the slightest. Kings don't really have a good center. They have uh, Sabonis, who's their power forward. Terrible on defense. Thunder don't have a good center. Rockets don't have a good center. So when you break it down, there's what? maybe three three good centers two of those being power forwards and then a f like three above average the rest pretty bad let's talk about the east let's talk about the east this is where it gets interesting right Miami Heat very good center Bam Adebayo Philadelphia 76ers, elite center. Joel Embiid. Milwaukee Bucks, elite center. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Chicago Bulls, very good center. Nikola Vucevic. Boston Celtics, really don't have a good center. Um, I would say Al Horford is well above average, though. Cleveland Cavaliers, all-star center, Jared Allen. Pretty decent. Pretty decent guy. The Raptors, I'd say they have an average center with Precious Achua, but just bang average. Uh, he's more of like a, a four hybrid five, so I won't really include him, but yeah, he's pretty average. So that's what five of the top six have a at least a good center right the Nets LaMarcus Aldridge pretty good center even defensively he's having pretty good numbers after that they have the Nick Claxton and Andre Drummond they have a three-headed monster at center pretty good three-headed monster You'll take that. You'll take that 
Um, so Brooklyn, they have a good center rotation, I'll say. Charlotte Hornets, not as much. Not as much. They also rely on a nice little rotation. They have Trez Harrell. They have Mason Plumlee. I'll say they're average, right? Average centers. Atlanta Hawks, good center. Uh, I think Clint Capella, John Collins, Gorgie Dang, that little like three-headed rotation right there. Even Clint Capella by himself is a tough night for a lot of guys. Because that is a big body who's in there to get boards. He's going to finish at an elite level. And he can defend in the paint, out on the perimeter, whatever you need him to do. Washington Wizards don't really have a good center in the slightest. I wouldn't say that Gafford or Bryant or even Vernon Carey are solid, even though I'm a Duke fan. Um... But, but with Porzingis, because Porzingis, he will start for center for them when he's healthy and when he's balling. He's played one game for them so far, and he actually had a decent game. Um, but when he's healthy and balling, I think Porzingis will be another pretty good center in the East. The Knicks, I mean, you got Randall. You got Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel. It's not an easy night for you. Really not an easy night for you. Pretty good guys. Pacers. Um, what are we saying about Miles Turner? Average? Just above average? I would say Miles Turner's probably in that DeAndre Ayton range. Cause defensively, he's not amazing. He's a good defender. He's not amazing. Um, but he's he's about in that DeAndre Ayton range where he's never really like taken that leap to get to the spot where he needs to go. Um, Pistons is a pretty easy night. Uh, you have the Great Wall of Olenek, but is what it is there. And I would say you have a tougher night in Orlando than you think with Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter when Wendell Carter's feeling himself and uh, when Mo Bamba's actually playing up to the standards that were given to him when he was drafted. Now, Wendell Carter's having himself a decent year. A decent year. 15 and about 10.5 rebounds. Not terrible. And if you remember Mo Bamba... He gave Jokic over 30. He gave Jokic 32 points. So, like, it just goes to show. How many elite centers are we talking? We got the Heat, the Sixers, the Bucks, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Nets, the Hawks, the Wizards, the Knicks. You got nine guys in there that could be called a good or better center. In the West, you got about three. So it's really no comparison for me who's the MVP of this league right now, and that's Joel Embiid, because night in, night out, he has to put up a little bit more effort against a lot better guys, and I feel like that context is super important 
when we have this MVP debate, when we have this discussion of, dang, who really is like the best player? Well, maybe the guy that's playing against the best guys is probably the best guy. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just, it's never been close with me. It's never been close with me. And I wouldn't even really say like, when we're talking just pure pound per pound value. I don't think it's that far apart from the guys in my top three for MVP, which is Embiid, LeBron, and Jokic. At number four, John Morant's chilling right there, who's, I mean, over the last 20 games, averaging, what, 33.5 points on 50% shooting? Pretty nuts. Pretty good numbers. I just wish that... I wish that this league would shift in the direction away from the media to just be like, man, the media votes have got to, they've got to go because I'm just tired of the narratives that just get forced upon you. And it's just so, it's, it's just off-putting as a basketball fan, a guy who just loves basketball, to have to see the same stuff every night, like, a historic game should be recognized, a historic season should be recognized, but we've seen time and time again historical seasons getting hijacked by the media. We can talk about Damian Lillard putting up 30 a game and not even getting MVP votes. We can talk about that. 30 a game. Started every game in 2020. 30 a game. Shot 40% from three. Didn't get a single MVP vote. LeBron James in 2018. Started every single game. 82 games. 27, 9, and 9. Led those booty butt cheeks calves to the finals. Lost the MVP to Harden. The next year, Harden had 36 points in it per game for the year. And he lost out on MVP to Giannis. It's just weird that the media has just so much power over who wins awards and who they're going to hand it out to. And it's usually guys who are media favorites. I mean, you could say guys like LeBron should have more than four MVPs in his, in his career easily, but because he's not really a media favorite, he doesn't have that. And it's just, it's just odd to me. It's just, it's just weird I like the player voting aspect. I like the coaching voting aspect. I don't think the fans should have a vote in anything. Um, I don't think all-star voting. I don't think none of that. Like, I don't want to see the fans have a vote in anything. 
I think it should be the players who are actually playing the game. And the media should just have the right to, you know, talk about that. And that's what I think the media gets wrong sometimes is the media believes that they're super uber involved, but they're actually not. The media has a responsibility to tell the story of what's going on, not create the story. Shifting gears here. And we're going to talk about the best players that missed out on the NBA 75. This was a question from Hank the Vibe Machine in the Discord, and he specifically wanted to know about guys like Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. Now, Tony Parker for me is an easy no for the NBA 75. He's even an easy no for the NBA 100 team, and I'll tell you why. Tony Parker was the third or fourth best player on those Spurs teams when they won the titles. Easily for me. And I'll tell you why for this reason. Mono Ginobili is probably one of the best 3 and D guys of all time. Probably one of the best 3 and D guys ever. For his career, he was a 37% three-point shooter. Per 100 possessions, he had a defensive rating of 100. Which is very good. It's very good. Basically, what defensive rating means is per 100 possessions, how many points are you allowing, right? So, 100 is very, very good. Cons compare that to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's career defensive rating is 103. So, per the statistics and the analytics, Mono Ginobili is a better defender than Michael Jordan and it's not just for the career like individual years as well Manu had let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine he had nine years of defensive ratings lower than Michael Jordan's lowest defensive rating once um, and even in 2015-16, his defensive rating was 98, and Jordan's lowest ever was 100. Um, pair that with 37% three-point shooting, uh, just an absolute incredible way to move the ball. He could be your primary ball handler, he could be your wing player, your off-ball player whatever you really needed him to do. I think for me, it was more of a robbery that a guy like Manu didn't make the NBA 75 over even a guy like Bill Walton. Because you have to remember, like, Manu, he came into the league when he was 25. He played three years in Italy. He could have won another title with the Spurs. But instead, 
he opted to play what how many years did he play 15 16 16 years in the nba um and even in his in his later years he was still that guy like manu the majority of manu's career was when he was past the age of 30 and i feel like people don't remember just how special he was in his prime in like from 27 to 34 manu was a problem he was an issue he was an animal and he's like for me easily one of the best like 3 and D guys to ever lace up the shoes ever and I feel like it just goes to show with his crazy offensive and defensive ratings it's kind of a travesty that he didn't get put into to the team now Kyrie Irving is another guy I feel like is super super underwhelming and I feel like we need to stop comparing him to Damian Lillard because Dame should obviously be in there Dame's one of the more talented point guards to ever play the game. It shouldn't be a Kyrie versus Damian Lillard issue. It should be like a Kyrie versus a guy like Jason Kidd issue, which Jason Kidd was a 39% shooter for his career. Kyrie Irving is closer to a 50-40-90 guy for his career. In fact, he was a 50-40-90 guy in the 2021 season with a a brand new play style playing with Kevin and it's just it was I've always been a big Kyrie Irving guy you know if you know me you know that you know that I've been watching him since he was at Duke um, which was over a decade ago so I've literally been watching Kyrie Irving for over a decade and I got to watch him early in Cleveland got to watch him a lot more once LeBron got there and you just see this guy that when he is on you better watch out he's always been an uber efficient player he's always been just this this hard-nosed guy that's gonna just he's gonna give you every ounce of basketball he's got in him and It just sucks that he just doesn't get the love that he deserves, not only as a basketball player, but a human being. I wish we could see a little bit more of flowers. A little bit more of flowers handed to Kyrie Irving. And another guy that obviously should have been in it is Dwight Howard. Again, if you if you just compared Dwight head-to-head -head with a guy like Bill Walton, you can look in their primes. You can look in just the longevity of it all. It's hard to tell. It's, it's super, super hard for anyone to tell me that Bill Walton had a better career in the NBA, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about the NBA here. College doesn't matter. Talking about the NBA. Bill Walton never played a full season when he was the guy. 
Most games he ever played was 65, right? Dwight Howard in his, what, first five years, six years in the league. Do you want to know how many games that Dwight missed? Three. Push that to the his first seven years. Do you know how many games that Dwight missed in his first seven years? Seven. You want to talk about Bill Walton? You know how many games that Bill Walton played in his first seven years? 223. 223 out of 574. Let's have this conversation. Why is Bill Walton in the NBA 75? I'll wait. I will wait. We can just look prime for prime, you know. Prime for prime. Dwight Howard from his 19th, 19 age year to his 28 age year. He missed one big spell of injuries, but not really a huge spell because it was a lockout season, right? Eighteen points a game, thirteen rebounds a game, two blocks per game. In ten years, right? Bill Walton only played ten seasons in the NBA, and he only played four hundred and sixty-eight games. In that ten years, Dwight Howard played three hundred more basketball games than Bill Walton. It's not close. It's super far apart. Dwight Howard got blackballed from the league and that's why he's not in the league. It just sucks. It's just tough to see. We need to give these players that are actually doing the work, they're doing something about it. Like, even for his career numbers, right? Because you have to think, like, since that second Houston year, since that second Houston year, I mean, we can even say since since the Charlotte year. We'll go to the Charlotte year, right? Since Dwight's been coming off the bench. He's still been a super efficient guy. Like, per 36 minutes, if he could give you 36 minutes, Dwight would still be at his career averages. Like, 14 points, 15 boards, 2 blocks. On 8 shots. Which is unreal. It's just unreal. I think Bill Walton's one of the more overrated players of all time. I don't think Bill Walton did anything to change the game, to elevate the game. So I just I'm I'm confused on why a guy who didn't play 
pretty much at all. Right? Bill Walton really didn't play that much. He played 223 games in his first seven years in the league. It's ugly, man. It's super upsetting. Bill Walton just isn't better than Dwight Howard. So when we like break it down, there's a lot of guys that There's a lot of guys that probably could have been on the list. There's a lot of guys that probably shouldn't have been on the list. And I mean, we can we can deep dive and discuss that list at another time. But this Dwight Howard thing is just super bothering me. Um, super bothering me. But it's all good. I mean, we'll we'll take it. We'll take it. It's still a cool list. It's still a cool thing to have. But it's just, uh, yeah, when you're going to do a list like that, you have to be responsible for it. You have to be able to back up your decision on why Walton's there and Howard's not. And I feel like, uh, name one writer that can back that up. Name one writer that voted for Bill Walton. I will go at them head to head. And I guarantee they cannot tell me why Bill Walton is a better player than Dwight Howard is. It's, it's ugly, it's terrible, and it's just can't happen, man. Because these players' legacies depend on this stuff. Dwight is looked at as a different player, and he'll be looked at as a different player for the next 25 years because of this. You can't do this. The horrible thing about this is they put Bill Walton in the NBA 50th anniversary team. They had Bill Walton in the top 50. Why? It doesn't make sense, man. It's so weird. How is Bill Walton a Hall of Famer? He played 468 games. And that's just cool? He played... Not even six full seasons of basketball. Not even six. And he was in the league since he was 22, retired when he was 35. So out of 14 years, he didn't even play six full seasons. Why is this guy in any kind of mentions? I mean, injuries aside, you can even look at the stats. Not a cracked player. You look at his offensive rating, right? 103. What? You're telling me you're going to give a, a center the ball for 100 possessions. He's only going to get you 103 points, and you're just cool with that. Okay, sure. Sure. We'll leave We'll leave the, uh, We'll leave. leave that all at that. Bill Walton's uh, he's, he's trash. Revisionist history aside, Bill Walton's trash.
You heard it here first. Last segment before we get to the dynamic duos. Who will take the NBA into the next decade? This has been an ongoing debate, an ongoing topic, and truthfully, I think it's going to be more of a LeBron and Kobe situation with John Morant and Luka Doncic. Luckily, they're in the same... And they're, they're like they'll probably retire with the teams that they're on right now. You can write it down that I said that. I think Jason Tatum's super lucky that neither of these guys are in the East. Um, super lucky. But I I truly truly believe that you know the. I think the top, some top 10 guys for the next decade are going to be Luka, John Morant, Jason Tatum, Tyrese Halliburton, LaMelo, Darius Garland, Tyler Hero, Devin Booker. I hope it turns out with Zion. I really do. As a Duke fan, I hope it turns out for him. Just don't see it. DeJounte Murray, LeBron James, some very good names in there. Some very good names in there. Just hope it all works out, man. Because I want it to work out. I'd feel bad if it didn't work out, man. Like, because you have a lot of guys in there that have so much booming potential. The last thing that you want to see happen is to have that not work out in the long run. And truth be told, like, we'll, we'll have to wait and see with it. But I think that Ja has the chip on his shoulder, whereas Luca has already got the league by the balls. Josh Giddy is a shout, so Tico clips. Josh Giddy is a shout. I just hope that he can. He needs a bag. He needs to get that three to four moves that he can reliably go to and not just rely on ball movement and playing on a bad team. This is what I call Sabonis stats. And those are stats that you acquire when you're on a bad team. And I think the Sabonis stats are what give you contracts, not championships. And it's no disrespect to DeMontis Sabonis, but you look at his stats and you look at his contract and you're like, huh. So this guy's doing that in Indiana. Now he's doing it in Sacramento. He's not going to sniff the playoffs. I doubt that he makes the playoffs for this entire next contract. Deepest he went was the 
was it the Eastern Conference finals against the Cavs? Semifinals against the Cavs? Truth be told, I can't even remember. But they went into a, a game seven against the Cavs. In about 2018. I'm thinking it could have even been a first round series, you know. But just. What are you going to get out of a guy like Sabonis, man? And I think that's the same with Giddy is that I think Giddy needs to be in a system where he could be a system player and not like a star player. Like if Giddy was on the the Spurs, for example, or the Celtics, I think Giddy would absolutely thrive as he grows with the league, but he doesn't really have a good shot, doesn't really have reliable offense, and... I mean, now he's injured, right? So we'll have to wait and see when he comes back. But it's not... I wouldn't say it's looking great for a guy like Giddy. I wouldn't say it's great for a guy like him. But... Moving on to the final subject of the Purple NBA podcast. And that is the top underrated dynamic duos and obviously this is influenced by Joel Embiid and James Harden and the stuff that they're doing right now which is pretty good they showed a stat on inside the NBA and it was like the 2000 Shaq and Kobe against Embiid and Harden right now and that caused a ruckus that caused a stir and people aren't too happy with it. But no, I mean, like for what we've gotten right now, we've gotten it for about what? Three weeks. It's been pretty, pretty decent to watch. Pretty fun to watch. Um, and some underrated dynamic duos that I would like to talk about. Firstly, Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway. I think we're very, very good basketball players. Um, they could give you... They, their bags were just deep, un unbelievably deep. And they had just enough defense to make it work. Couldn't really get things going in the playoffs. But that's because the West was pretty stacked in the 90s. Uh, because if you got out of the first round, you were running up against a juggernaut in the second round. It wasn't like the East in the 90s where it was pretty much... The East had one super team in the 90s and that was about it um another underrated dynamic duo Shaq and Penny and another one Shaq and D Wade um not just because of Shaq but because the guard I think Penny was on his way and he was doing a lot of the stuff that guys like Cade Cunningham guys like DeJounte Murray were doing just being these overall athletic guards who had this deep bag that could get to the get to the rack that could distribute that had a decent jumper to him and penny more than penny more than anybody had the opportunity to 
I would say outshine Shaq, but obviously Shaq was. Shaq was Shaq. Like, we knew that. We knew Shaq was Shaq. And when I say we knew, hindsight, right? Because I wasn't even alive when Shaq came into the league. But you knew what you were going to get with Shaq night in and night out. Even from a rookie, like, he was absolutely dominant. Um, and then when he got to Miami... He straight up, like, there's a lot of, like, funny memes about him not winning the MVP over Nash. Did he deserve it? Probably not. Because you look at those numbers in Miami, weren't absolutely fantastic. Um, the two years that maybe could have been in the discussion, um... He was just uh, on a on a downhill from where he was. I think that those Lakers Shaq years were just unbelievable, and that's why Kobe and Shaq are probably top three um, for dynamic duos. But another dynamic duo that's super underrated is Kuzi and Russell, Sam Jones and Russell, even you could say. Anytime that you win more than five championships as a duo. That means something. That definitely means something. And I feel like Bill Russell doesn't get talked about enough when arguably he's one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And he shut down the most dominant player in basketball, Wilt Chamberlain, on a pretty consistent basis. And he had an unbelievable winning record against him. Pair that with an elite guard of a Koozie or a Sam Jones. You have a pretty good duo right there. You have a pretty good duo right there. And the last duo I do want to talk about. And I feel like y'all probably knew where this one was headed. It's LeBron and Kyrie. I don't think that there's a... A more like, if you're just watching basketball, a more like beautiful power finesse duo than LeBron and Kyrie were. And they got to play, what, 2015, 16, 17, three years together. So they really didn't even get time to blossom, but they still want to chip. I would have loved to see them for maybe another contract because I feel like if Kyrie resigns, LeBron resigns. And I feel like they win more chips. They even probably have enough to trade for Anthony Davis. So we potentially could have seen Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Kyrie Irving all playing together. And that would have been something else. That would have been something else. But, my God, do I just miss, you know, turn on ESPN... Hearing Mike Breen yell bang as Kyrie hits a step back three and just watching watching LeBron in those ugly t-shirt jerseys, you know, just dominating, putting up 30 a night for the Cavs. Just an unreal, unreal time. Just unreal time to be alive and you really got to just count your blessings you know when you're watching the nba especially nowadays like this is the most talented era ever 
the NBA has never been this good where consistently there's good guys on almost every team. NBA has never been like this. So don't get greedy. Enjoy what you're watching and rejoice that you get to watch such amazing players. That's going to do it for this week's Purple NBA podcast. I appreciate you guys for coming through. And um, yeah, just it's been very fun. Next week, we're going to be talking about the top 25 dynamic duos in NBA history. So we will see you guys very soon. And yeah, we'll see you next week, in fact. Have a good one. Later, Gator.